Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. This show is sponsored by Dixon's Chemist, who are the experts in LDN and associated treatments in the UK. Dixon's Chemists are the most cost-effective for LDN in all forms within the UK and Europe, maintaining safety standards far in excess of what is required. Why would you choose to get your LDN from anywhere else? Call 0141 404 6545 today to speak to their LDN experts. Welcome, and today our guest is Dr. Dana Keating, who is a naturopathic physician and acupuncturist licensed to practice medicine and acupuncture in Arizona since 1988. She spent 10 years in medical research after completing her pre-medical degree. She then completed National College Naturopathic Medicine's four-year program and attended a three-year program in acupuncture at Oregon College of Oriental Medicine. Her internship was at National, where she's also Director of Research. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Keaton. Thank you, Linda. I want to tell you how much I appreciate that you have taken the time and energy to move information forward to the public on this medication that's otherwise completely overlooked. The exciting thing is with the the radio shows and the website and everything, we have weekly um, doctors or pharmacists who say they would like to gain more information because they know either a doctor that isn't prescribing LDM but they would like to so it is fantastic having doctors like yourself on board sharing your experience which makes other doctors comfortable with prescribing LDM well I'm glad to be able to help so just going back a bit what made you decide to become a doctor what was it that Mm. drove you I had interest in medicine and just life and how it works from a young age, I was one of those kids that was, you know, had a microscope when I was in first grade and was fascinated. And then when I went to pre-medicine in undergrad, I got more interested in how the body actually works. And then I was interested in going to medical school, but it, it didn't seem like it was reasonable, the approach that medical school made to health. So I went into research instead and medical research. And then I found out about naturopathic medicine, which really resonated with me. I had some health issues, and surgery was suggested. Um, I'm happy to tell you that I never had surgery, and I'm quite healthy. It was completely Mm -hmm. unnecessary. And so just knowing ways to help the body heal itself rather than being intervening with things that are harmful. And, you know, LDL kind of fits into that because it's a medication that, that doesn't really have side effects that has great benefit. That's, you know, that's hard to 
beat. It, most medications, you know, you take a medicine and then you have a huge list of all the bad things that are going to happen to you. <laughs> yes. And it's, it would seem to me that naturopathic medicine, you're looking for the root cause rather than just treating the symptoms, treating the whole body to get your body to work correctly. Exactly. Exactly. It, you know, any illness will improve if you treat the underlying what we call terrain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you work with the, the food that they're eating, the exercise they're getting, helping them to detoxify from our environment, getting sleep, you know, just basic things that we forget how important they are to our body. Our society um, doesn't encourage us to look at that. And it's, it is the basis of our health. And then <clears throat> there are people who have problems that require more intervention. And the more severe the problem, the more intervention. But still remembering at all times that that underlying human being and the health of that human being has to start with the underlying part. And everything will improve, even if it's not cured. It will improve by working with that body. And it's not only America, um, it seems to be around the world, that people are getting heavier and unhealthily heavy, um, which then obviously has a knock-on effect to your whole system, doesn't it, if you're, you're carrying too much weight, eating fast food, junk food. So if a, yeah. a patient comes in to see you with health issues and they're overweight and they're feeling fatigued and aches and complaints. How do you go about assessing how you would treat that patient? What could a patient expect when they come to see you? I'm always going to talk about the food that they eat and making healthier choices. Uh, you know, these days, all of our chronic illnesses, which is what people mostly suffer for, are based on inflammation. And as long as you're eating processed food and lots of meat and um, fried foods, you're going to have inflammation. It's not going to go away. No, no amount of pills is going to take that away because it's like throwing a piece of sand on the beach when you take an aspirin. You know, you've got mm. this huge, huge base of inflammation going on and you're trying to resolve it with, with little um, shots of drugs. And so, you know, looking at that. So I, I'll often take people um, off of process foods completely so if it comes in a package it's not okay and then have them eat about half their diet of vegetables people don't do that anymore and it, it's necessary and especially in a society where people are buzzing off to work and buzzing home they're not out you know hauling fields and doing physical labor they need to be eating a higher quantity of vegetables to get the nutrients without the calories so I think it's something that um, it's common sense if we take a step back and look at it, but people don't really want to just eat their vegetables. So mm -hmm. you have to find tasty ways to help them along with that. So, so if you've got, um, let's take a, an imaginary person who's busy working, um, has, let's say, a woman, and she's got a family and she's got a home to run, she's got children, She's rushing here, there and everywhere and they're eating um, processed foods for convenience. 
not healthily, not uh, and, and snacking on unhealthy foods. How would you introduce a healthy way of living to a family, to somebody that is really busy? The children are probably used to eating fast foods, not eating fruit and vegetables, not wanting them. How easy is it for a family to change their eating habits and their their way of life, basically? Oftentimes it's the parent alone that starts it, and that's so that they regain some energy and health because they feel exhausted. So I might uh, have them think about making it more enjoyable, too, like a trip to the farmer's market. It's fun. You know, it's not a task. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I encourage people to set aside two hours during the week, whether it's on Sunday or if their day off is during the week at, on a day off, put on some beautiful music, something they enjoy, tell the family that they have two choices. Basically, you can help me um, chop vegetables in the kitchen or you can leave me to enjoy my music or my TV show or whatever you're going to do while you are chopping vegetables and get things ready for the week because during the week it can be such a rush that if it becomes a task, it doesn't happen. Other things are um, instead of going to a fast food restaurant, running into a salad bar and getting a salad made up, for the family and then you can put some if you're a meat eater you can put some chicken or fish with that that's that's easy to cook so there's there's ways to do that and I think um, it's just instructing and helping and it's always individual what's going to go on for that family you know if it's a two-year-old they're not going to be any help in the kitchen if it's a seven-year-old they can start learning in a joyful atmosphere mm-hmm. and are there any withdrawals from having fast food with lots of sugar and fats and salt and the like? Sometimes, but I will tell you that the bulk of the time, after a week off of that food, people's energy picks up so much that they definitely see the difference. Sometimes the joint inflammation, the headaches and all of that starts to dissipate within about 10 days too. So, you know, if you can get them through the first couple of days where they may be fatigued from not having that zing, um, often their energy picks up pretty quickly, which is a great benefit because there's nothing more encouraging than feeling good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And then what do you do about finding out the underlying problems? Uh, do you rely on blood tests? I do some, yeah. Uh It certainly depends on what's already happened with the person, but oftentimes, like, say a person comes in to me with fatigue and the only test that's ever been run on their thyroid is their TSH. Well, that's certainly not enough, and oftentimes I find there is an underlying dysfunction there, and adding thyroid, why we look for what the dysfunction is, and if it's Hashimoto's, then that directs me right away to, you know, get all the gluten out of their diet to give them... um, appropriate thyroid medicine and to put them on LDN. The LDN is, it's very interesting because I don't see it always changing the actual antibody titer a lot, but I do see it making a huge difference in how they feel. Oftentimes their energy will pick up quite nicely when you add the LDL in, mm-hmm. particularly with that. Do you find that you have to reduce the thyroid medication once you introduce the LDN? 
Occasionally. I'm not sure I can speak to that very directly because a lot of these people come into me on synthetic thyroid hormone, and I'm starting them off on something else. You know, I might have them on a time-release T3 and T4, so it's, it's hard to say on the dose exactly what because I've changed it. Mm-hmm whether it's lower or higher. So I, no, I don't, I can't say that categorically when I put them on LDN, I lower their thyroid dose. I don't think that that's necessarily been true. Mm -hmm. So once your patients start on LDN, do you suggest they start in the morning or in the evening and what kind of dose? Out of habit, I've always started them in the evening. Most people do fine just taking it in the evening Occasionally, the main side effect I see is effect on sleep. And so most people, I tell them to stay with it for a week because most people within a week, it stops bothering their sleep. But if it continues to bother the sleep, then I can change it to a different time of day. Usually I begin on a 2.5, not on a really low dose. Uh, I haven't had problems with that, so I guess I've been encouraged to stick with it. I do have some patients that are more sensitive, and I might do the liquid dosing where it's easier to adjust the dose upward over time. So they might be doing one mil every night for a week and then 1.5 mil and then two mil so you can do smaller increments going up. But I have to say doing a 2.25 for a week and then going to – and that 2.25 for a week is for me just to make sure there's no uh, side effects that are going to be a problem – and then going to the 4.5, which is where most of my patients are, is on 4.5. So it's kind of simplistic, but um, it works for most people. And if I, I detect the person's history says they might be sensitive or they have a lot going on, those are the ones that I might start with the liquid where I can just ratchet it up slowly. Mm-hmm. And do you have any good examples of patients that have been using LDM? Many. Um, I, Two that, one that's unusual is a woman who came to me with a nephrotic syndrome. She also had Hashimoto's. She was miserable. Her ankles were so huge that they hurt from the edema because of her kidneys. I mean, she was really not functioning well, and medical doctors didn't have much to offer her. It's how she ended up at my office. That's not uncommon. And the LDN for her was quite miraculous. We did other things initially. You know, I put her on a low-protein diet using amino acids to build protein without hurting the kidney. It spares the kidney. I used a specific carbohydrate diet on some for a little bit um, and then food sensitivity testing. So we did some other things. But even after she'd been on the LDN for two weeks, things started to improve and continued to improve. And to be honest, she's not been very um, adherent to the dietary and the amino acids. She doesn't even do those anymore. She does stay on the LDN, and it has kept things under control. And she's, she's probably three, four years out now without any reoccurrence at all and has no intention of stopping the LDN because everything's working so well. And, again, in the background, she also had Hashimoto, so I think it you know, helps with that, too. So her energy is good. She's able to do what she wants to do. She doesn't have painful ankles. She's not all swollen up. Her kidney function has stayed better and better. It's, it's never declined again. Her microalbuminuria, which is a leaking of protein into the urine, um, it started out, I, I think it was like 2,000. It was huge. And 
it's down to normal now. It's it, and it stayed normal for the last year and a half. So it's really that was an amazingly great case, and I might have thought to do it just because the nephrotic syndrome could have had an uh, autoimmune component to it. But but the other thing was her Hashimoto. So between the two, I knew I had to go that direction. Mm-hmm. Now, how long did it take before she noticed? Did you just say two weeks? The edema started to go down pretty quickly, but like I said, it was huge. So it didn't get clear down to normal for probably, if I recall, maybe six months before her ankles looked completely normal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an amazing, remarkable story, isn't it? it? It's those kind of stories that I should think make you want to prescribe it more and more. For Yeah, and for various things. It's like, hmm, well, why don't we try it? And again, one nice thing about LDN is the lack of side effects. So, you know, it's why not try it in a lot of these cases where nothing else is available that we know of? Why not try it? So, you know, treat the underlying terrain, add some LDN. I would say the bulk of your patients are going to improve with those two things. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other remarkable stories? Oh, have- one that was just a joyous story, a gentleman came to see me from California who had ulcerative colitis, and he'd had it, let's see, when was he diagnosed? I think 1989. He'd had it for a number of years, and nothing had worked. Oh, it was 07. He was diagnosed in 2007, so about 10 years ago. They had tried Remicade, Imuron, Prednisone, Inovic. Everything that medical doctors had had been tried, and nothing worked. He was he couldn't have a normal life because he couldn't really leave the house for very long because of the you know the bowel movements with the mm-hmm. ulcerative colitis. He tried some dietary changes, and they hadn't really stuck either. Um, and so the doctor basically said, you know, we need to do a colectomy. It's it's your only option. We have to do a colectomy. You've got all this inflammation in your gut. Every time we scope you, it looks worse. We've got to do something. And that's when he came to see me. He flew over for a consult. And um, we started him on a few anti-inflammatory herbs and the LDN. And I put him back on a diet that he had tried previously Again, it didn't work previously, but you needed more than one prong to this person to make progress. Mm-hmm. So he was more adherent to the diet. He did these things. And the follow-up called him two weeks later. He already was just ecstatic. Mm-hmm. You know, he had gotten it down to the point where he only had two or three times a day where he had the urgent bowel movements. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the month, no problem. He now just has, he has his whole day to, to himself. He um, you know, can go about his business. He doesn't have to worry about it. And this is like uh, less than a year's treatment that he's gotten to this point. His last scope, they didn't see any inflammation, which is remarkable. Wow. And what, yeah. what do they think when they um, test him and can't find anything? Yeah, it's always interesting. They don't ask, what did you do differently? No, they never ask. Really? That, they never that's ask. amazing, isn't it? It is, because you think, here you've tried everything that you have available, and the only thing left you have to offer is to remove the colon, and then he comes in and the inflammation's gone. Well, don't they you think, think it's some kind like, of what miracle? Are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing different here? This is interesting. What's going on? No, nothing. 
Well, how are they going to learn if they don't observe and ask questions? Unfortunately, they're not. So the, they're not. So the next patient that comes along is still going to go down the surgery route unless the thought in, patterns change. Unless they hear something. Yeah, like, Linda, that's why this radio show is so important, too, because everyone that hears about it might know someone that knows someone, and they're like, you've got to listen to this program. I heard about someone that had this situation. You know, and the word gets out, because mm-hmm. that's the only way it's going to get out. Pharmaceutical companies aren't going to go to the um, gastroenterologist and say, hey, why don't you try this on your patients? But there are so many doctors like yourself who have felt disillusioned with medicine, with leading people down the, the route of having surgery when surgery really hasn't been appropriate or wasn't actually needed if you tried other treatments first. I'm not saying that people shouldn't ever have surgery, but there are things that you can try first that, like your man with ulcerative colitis, could resolve without having surgery. Yes. Between uh, things like knee surgery sometimes, gallbladder surgery almost never. People just end up getting their gallbladder out and they're miserable afterward and Nine times out of ten, they didn't need that. I recently had someone come in just last week who had uh, gallbladder cancer, and that was worth removing, but that's the first time I've seen that in about 30 years of practice. It's not common. Most gallbladders are removed needlessly. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, so. uh, a shame, isn't it? Um, it is. Mm. And do the doctors around you recognize diet? Or aren't they interested in getting their patients eating healthily? Medical doctors, largely not. Even the oncologists that I work with basically tell their patients they can eat anything they want. Mm. Yes, I must admit it's the same over here. But, I mean, diet, how are you going to get the best out of your body if all you're feeding it is junk food? Right. I tell people the only time that if they have cancer, the only time they should eat sugar is right before they go in for the chemotherapy because it accelerates the division of the cancer cells and that way it'll soak up more of the chemo. Mm. But, you know, cancer cells, they, that's what they divide with is sugar. They need sugar. And so you, you know, if you're eating a high sugar diet, it's not going to be helpful. Mm. And what's your feelings on salt? Depends on who you look at with that. You know, the Gerson therapy, they forbid any salt because they feel that it um, hardens the tumor, I think, is the theory behind it. But they forbid any salt. Um, definitely cutting back on it for most Americans is necessary. Again, if you're eating processed foods, you're going to get too much salt because that's what makes them taste. Mm. So when you get off of processed foods, you automatically lower your salt intake in more natural forms as well. You know, vegetables, if they're canned, they have no flavor until you add salt. If they're frozen, their taste might be better, but it might still be diminished. And so when you eat fresh vegetables, they have much more taste. You don't need as much seasoning and salt to make them taste good. 
And you were saying at the beginning that fried food was bad for you. For people cooking at home fresh food, if they're stir-frying or um, um, cooking stir meat... Stir-fry is, is different. I'm talking about, you know, mm, Oh, yes, I know. Frying. But what yeah. I was getting round to saying, what is the healthiest fat we should be using in our cooking? I think olive oil has the most um, tried and true proof behind it. If you're using a real high temperature oil, you might want to use something like coconut oil because it's saturated. Saturated fats don't break down under high heat as much. But for overall health, you know, for your salad dressings, for your um, other kinds of oils, the olive oil is the one that has the most science behind it. I know in this country anyway, coconut oil's a fad right now. I have some concerns about the forest that they plow down in order to plant the coconut palms. But in America, we're very commercialized about things. I don't know how it is in Europe. So once they get a commercial stronghold, they can convince people that it's good for everything. (laughs) (laughs) But coconut oil is saturated. So for um, high temperatures, it's a good oil to use. And it does help the textures of some foods when you're doing gluten-free and dairy-free. So it has uses. I don't mean to malign it completely. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that it... It's kind of gotten to be a fad where people are using it for everything. Well, I must admit, I use olive oil and I um, did a stir fry with coconut oil and I didn't like the taste. (laughs) It wasn't to my liking. Yeah, and olive oil works fine. Mm. It's been used for years, so. And when you go in a supermarket to buy, I always buy extra virgin olive oil, some is very green and some is more of a yellowy colour. What colour should we be looking for in olive oil? The green has more of the um, healthy parts in it, the antioxidants and things that we know are helpful in olive oil. Yellow, that may be okay. The one that isn't a health benefit so much is they make clear olive oils. They have much less taste. They're used for cooking. And, you know, if you were using it for a baked good, I suppose the clear one would be better in taste. But uh, the ones for a salad dressing or where you're using the cold oil particularly, the green has a lot of the health benefits that you don't get as they filter it out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been absolutely amazing speaking to you today. And thank you so much for sharing your experience. And long may you continue spreading the word on LDN. Thank you. And thank you again so much for spreading the word through this radio show. Thank you very much. We'll have to have you back again another day. Good day to you. The LDN conference is available to everyone, regardless where you live in the world. Fast internet is required. We have an amazing lineup of LDN experts giving presentations and answering your questions. This is a unique conference not to be missed. You can join us either via the live stream at a time to suit you or in person. The presentations will be available online for 12 months, allowing you to watch as many times as you like at times to suit you. Check out 
www.ldn2017.com. Any questions, please email me, ldn2017.linda at gmail.com. The LDN Research Trust has its own forum, which can be found at forum.ldnresearchtrust.org or via our website. The forum is divided into sections, so it's easy to navigate and find what you're looking for. You can share your experience, ask questions, keep a journal, etc. Unlike Facebook, the posts are always easy to find and don't get buried. We have a private medical professionals only section. To find out more, please email me, linda at ldnrt.org. This show is sponsored by Dixon's Chemist, who are the experts in LDN and associated treatments in the UK. Dixon's Chemists are the most cost-effective for LDN in all forms within the UK and Europe, maintaining safety standards far in excess of what is required. Why would you choose to get your LDN from anywhere else? Call 0141 404 6545 today to speak to their LDN experts. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.